This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Mix, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, aka Mixed Girl Maine. And today is a very special episode of Militantly Mixed for two reasons. Uh, one, because we hit episode 10. So we're finally in the double digits, which feels great. And the second reason is because who I'm talking to. Our guest today is named Jules. He is the very first person I came in contact with once I decided to pull the trigger and finally start doing this show in sort of the interview style or the discussion style that you are now familiar with. Um, I'll get into all of that here in a minute, but first just, you know, housekeeping stuff. Uh, one exciting thing that I would like to announce today is that we have another sponsor on Patreon. Um, gosh, it's awesome that people are being affected by the show and willing to uh, support keeping us going, you know, help us pay the hosting fees, help us improve our equipment and stuff over time. So, and to be a Patreon sponsor is a commitment. You are committing to multiple months at least of, of patronage. And so that means a lot when people are willing to do that. And so, yeah, shout out today to Emma, who is our most recent Patreon sponsor. She and I connected originally on Twitter. She had found the show, was listening, uh, hit me up to let me know how it was affecting her. And we ended up crossing over into emails. Uh, so hopefully I'll be able to share her story with you down the line. But yeah, she I was driving on the road the other day and I got a little ping that told me that we had a Patreon sponsor. So Emma, thank you so much for contributing to this show. Your your donation is very generous and it will help us keep going, you know, keep the lights on, so to speak. And I, I just appreciate you so much. And um, everybody who is continuing to sponsor the show, again, I appreciate you as well. So it's just awesome. And for those of you who do want to contribute to the show, but don't want to or cannot or whatever, <laughs> doesn't matter the reason, uh, don't want to commit to the monthly subscription, that makes complete sense as well. We do have the other option available. Finally, we have our PayPal button available. That is if you go to paypal.me slash militantly mixed, you can hit us with a one-time donation there. And every donation that we get keep, helps us keep going, helps us keep growing. And that's what's important because the goal of this show is to put push mixed race representation across the board. And if you're helping us keep that going, you know, you're, you're, you're telling us that that's what you need and want in the world as well. So thank you so much. So yeah, there are two ways that you can contribute to the show now is Patreon, www.patreon.com slash militantly mixed and paypal.me slash militantly mixed. So thank you so much for that. Um, just a little bit of business, I guess I, I can say that. Uh, for those of you who are wondering about the main hustle media tags that you hear at the beginning and end of every show, I guess I can talk about it a little bit. So main hustle media is, is my company. It is a beginning or early stages podcast network for people of color created content. Uh, right now we have three shows on the podcast network. There's a couple that are pending over the course of the next six months or so. So we do hope to grow and get bigger and expand to share more POC voices in whatever context those are. Um, 
So yeah, Main Hustle Media, if you're looking for other shows to listen to and you don't want to wait every week just for Thursdays for Militantly Mixed, you can join us on Tuesdays on Militantly Mixed, the Black as Fuck edition with my boy Blurred Vision and myself. This is us finally having time to come together to talk about blackness from the mixed black perspective, which is basically all of the conversations that Blurred Vision and I have (laughs) together anyway. Um, So check that out. We're only on episode four there, so you don't have too much to catch up on if you want to start listening to us there and following us on subscribing to us on all of the different platforms that you check us out on. And on Wednesdays, we drop Black Radical Queer which is very self-explanatory about what it's at. It's about Black radical queerness. Uh, My girl Javia Nicole is an awesome podcast host. I'm just a big old fan of hers as a person, as a friend, as a podcaster. She is out here living her life in a big ass way. She is she is all kinds of black, all kinds of radical, all kinds of queer. She has amazing guests every week. I, I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, but like I sit in the booth recording the shows, but I'm a fan. And I listen to the show, even though I've edited the show and produced the show, I actually listen to the show um, when I'm driving around my car, listening to my podcast every week. So yeah, check her out. I I would say you don't have to be a black radical queer to listen to the show. Although if you are, you are going to get your life there. If you aren't, you are going to get exposed to something that you don't experience. And that is just as important. Um, We got, you know, representation. I, I won't stop saying it. Representation matters. And the more people that aren't in that category that listen to our shows will get exposed to a side of life that you don't know. And maybe we'll help you with your empathy. Maybe we'll help you with understanding what it's like for those of us that are in categories that are othered. This is just another side of that coin uh, in terms of, you know, my shows being more mixed race related and Javia's show being Black Radical Queer. Uh, but it's a badass show. So check it out. And that drops on Wednesdays, also on all of the podcast platforms and YouTube and everything like that. So check us out. And then, of course, Thursdays, which you're already familiar with. You're already listening to Militantly Mix. And if it is giving you what you want, help keep us going. Keep reaching out to me, telling me your stories. Come on the show. Share your stories with everybody else. But yeah. Support Main Hustle Media because what we're doing here is pushing representation for people of color, LGBT of color. I mean, hopefully, eventually, all kinds of types of shows that are created by people of color. And I, you know, hope to grow this into a an easy platform for people of color to get on and participate in. So support us and check us out on all of our shows. And all right, let's go ahead and switch over to this week's episode. I don't think I have any other little details. To- oh, wait, no, I do. Black Radical Queer just dropped their fundraising t-shirt on Teespring, and it is a hot black-on-black t-shirt. It says uh, Black Radical Queer on it. It's badass. So go to teespring.com, search for Black Radical Queer, cop that t-shirt, help support Javia's show, and um, and then just walk around being fly as hell in your Black Radical Queer t-shirt. Um, okay, yeah. All right, that's all the business stuff. Let's go ahead and jump on to episode 10 with Jules. I won't go too much into introducing him because he's going to do that on the show. But just to talk about my feelings about what it was like to meet Jules, uh, when I was first going on my social media blitz to find guests to participate on the show, um, Jules was the first person who reached out to me. You know, when I was sitting here thinking no one was going to respond, <laughs> um, he was the one who reached out to me. And he had recently done sort of a DNA test that sort of helped 
answer some questions that he had had about his background um, and, you know, put together some pieces that matched up with some of the stuff that he did know about his family. And he responded to me because he saw me mentioning something about the idea of coming out as mixed. And I don't know if we get, I don't remember if we get too much into that on this particular recording that I'm going to share with you, but I've talked to this man like four or five times at this point. By the time you're hearing this recording, I I talked to him several times and for several hours at a time. So there was a lot of information to cull through to kind of put into this episode Um, because he was also the very first person I talked to. There really wasn't a flow yet, but because of the conversation I had with him, the show turned into what you are now familiar with, which is kind of why I've hoarded his interview for a little while, because I wanted you to get a chance to get comfortable with the show and get comfortable with me before I shared the thing that kind of jumped us off. And um, and so, yeah, uh, we do. We actually also had a lot of technical difficulties on this recording. He lives in New York as well, so you can hear a lot of city sounds from time to time. Our Skype would just drop out and we'd lose momentum in the conversation or, or what we were talking about. And so we'd end up jumping onto another topic. And you can see that a little bit here. But um, the important thing is just is just listening to another mixed race person from a different experience that you may have. Uh, he does present mostly black, um, but, so, but slightly ambiguous if you look at him. And that has played into his experience. He also has a name that makes people make assumptions about who he is before they actually meet and talk to him. So we get into all that stuff. He's he's a great guest. He's actually and like I said, he's you know dear to me now because he was the first person that I got to talk to for this show. So without further ado, let's go ahead and switch it over to Jules. Jules, you are my first person I ever connected with for the podcast. We're finally getting a chance to sit down. I know both of our schedules have been kind of crazy. So yeah. I, I'm so excited to get back with you to chat again because I felt like um, not only were you the first person I connected to through um, my militantly mixed post, you're kind of, so you'll always be special to me in that in that mm-hmm. respect. But I also feel that in our first conversation, we bonded so much and we had such a therapeutic session that I didn't even, mm-hmm. you're, the, you're the first person that showed me that this wasn't just my selfish endeavor to kind of connect mm-hmm. with mixed people and talk about mixedness, but to actually like create sort of a healing community between us because uh, as mixed people, because we all have different experiences. Mm-hmm. And it, I, I didn't realize just how much of an Almost emotional. Yeah. And uh, it has it's had such an emotional impact on me over the last few weeks recording some of these interviews. So I'm glad to be back with you and finally getting a chance to sit down and do this recording with you. Uh, so let me give you a few minutes so you can kind kind of introduce yourself in your own words, talk about whatever you want, and then we can jump into the rest of our conversation. All right, cool. Um, my name is Jules. I am a father of one. Um, I'm a multimedia artist based in New York City. That's pretty much where it ends and begins. Um, been a pursuit of art. It's been a lifetime kind of thing for me. And uh, right now, I'm really just refining how I want to 
make that work moving forward because you know you need to you need to monetize it so i'm really trying to figure out how to monetize my passions before i'm forced to kind of put them aside to you know confront real life or you know however anybody else wants to put it but um yeah that's me i'm just kind of at a crossroads of just like um serving myself and serving others really trying to mold the two trying to blend the two i was always um pegged as not regular black like it was always something about me that stood out as other so um i always consider myself to just be you know, African-American or whatever, you know, the case may be um, growing up and, you know, just uh, just a regular uh, pillar amongst a group of my friends and my generation, really. You know, I never really considered myself to be anything other until, you know, I was confronted with, you know, people who were noticing things about me and, and pick things out of my features and things like that. And, you know, I have my own little family history that I was able to tap into a little bit. Um, you knew you had a white relative, a yeah. grandparent or something like that, right? Yeah, my, my, my great-grandfather, I never met him I never met him. Uh, my grandmother on my father's side was really pale, but um, we didn't really have a super close relationship like that. Like a lot of my brothers <laughs> would tell, would tell you that she hated us. I don't know why like, she was so mean. But she was just so mean. So she wasn't someone that I could like. The, the nicest thing that I can remember her doing um, with me is teaching me how to tie my shoes. And I don't think she did it out of a you know love thing. It was just like she was just annoyed with me walking around with my shoes and places flying around. So one day she just stopped me and was just like, "Oh, let me show you how to do this." And um, that's like the the the, the kindest moment. That that I have with her up until maybe about a few years before she passed away. Um, she she got, you know, really cool, I guess, if you want to say. Mm. But um, yeah, so my, my, my grandmother, she was like the palest member of my family. And um, so it was always, I, you know, when I would compare her to my grandmother on my mother's side, like they're two, two different complexions, two different types of people. Mm. It's just, um, it always, that was the only thing that I had. Like, it was really just internally. I would always just be able to observe things and kind of just try to take them back. And because I didn't have the context as a kid, I couldn't make sense of them now, but I can kind of make sense of them, of them. But I can kind of make sense of them now. So right. like my, my grandmother was really pale. So her, her father now was obviously, you know, was significantly pale to the extent of not even being black. Mm-hmm. Like um, he was he was Polish or German, depending on who you ask. Um, but we didn't have a relationship with him. I, I think he passed away before I was born mm-hmm. or sometime early, really early in my life. So I really didn't have a relationship with him. I didn't know him. I didn't have any conversations with him. So that part, wherever he was from, whatever his the summary of his experiences were coming to America or being born in America or having immigrant parents, like I never received that side of the story mm. um the only thing that i ever received was you know the the black side the the diaspora the the black experience mm-hmm. you know from my, my mother's side being from uh, alabama which i'm um, taking my, my daughter down there at the end of this month yeah, for really? the first time and um i'm kind of leery about that a little i just don't like going to the south yeah i just i'm just not a fan of the south but um i i have, I have pleasant experiences being down there as a kid you know various family reunions and things like that my, mm-hmm. my, my grandmother just moved back down there she's from down there um i actually have an alabama tattoo on my arm you know what i'm saying just mm. um just for the lineage but um yeah so that'd be cool but yeah my um my my experience really just coming through like my my black side is really all i knew right you know yeah so when when you decided to go and do the dna test was that was that because you were feeling like you were mi- missing what um what other people were seeing when they when they looked at you and saw that your you know your features made them question what you were or was I mean, it just that, curiosity that's, that's just that's just self-awareness you know that's just a just a craving to just just know like a curiosity to an extent but I've, I've always been a history buff we talked about this last time mm-hmm. I've, always a, I've always been a history buff like history is like always one of my favorite subjects in class or in school, you know, because I can get lost in that book, you know, just like, like my teacher would be like, turn to page 200 and I'd get lost on like 78 somewhere. Some <laughs> shit, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, and then I'd get lost on page 89. Some, you know, I just get lost like three or four times before I even got to the material we're supposed to be studying, mm. you know, um, 
that's just always been me. Like, even with the whole vinyl thing, like, I just, I don't know. I, I guess I'm an old soul. You know, I like vintage things. Mm-hmm. I like, I don't know. I, I think certain things just resonate with me. But history has always been something that's always really intrigued me. So, um, you know, going back to, you know, my parents, my grandparents and my and my lineage and the fact that I could open a book and read so much about other people's histories. Right. But I couldn't about my own. Even like my last name, I can't Google my last name. Like my last name is not even like wasn't even really like passed down through my family. It's like my dad kind of just like made up my last name just in an attempt to separate himself or whatever. Like even the story of that, I don't really have, mm. you know, um, I think my dad was actually married when he married my mother. So I think he was kind of like <laughs> oh, trying no. to subvert. Yeah, the system. Yeah, no, it's, it's real. It's real. So like my last name is like I, I'm like the first one. Oh, really? My last name, you know, so like even then it's like I'm, I'm roadblocks all around where mm. I really have to kind of like track down my family members and like get the story directly from them. Mm. And um, that's not really a possibility for me. It's not really convenient for me, I should say. Right. So um, the DNA, when I when I when I got hit to the ancestry um, and it was affordable, uh, it just opened up a whole new lane for me. It was just a matter of really just like sending sending the deposit or entering my billing information and then just waiting for the results to come back. And that was really exciting for me, you know, because I can do that on my own. Um, I can whatever the research came back, I can do that on my own, mm-hmm. you know. So it was it was it was a closure to an extent. Um, it was something that I could kind of like share with my other family members and kind of like inspired them to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really just came from a sense of just wanting to know who I was, mm-hmm. you know, wanting to know, you know, where my blood comes from, wanting to know like what the experiences of those who came before me was, you know, um, you know, being in America and knowing that this is not the origins, you know, that there's something like in, in my head, like I have a picture of like the idea of just like my ancestors, like hunting and gathering or just mm-hmm. like, you know, some plane somewhere. Like, and I know that it might not be um, exactly as I envision it, but I know that there's something there, you know, that holds some truth and has has some weight. And I know I'll never know for sure. But, you know, the way the technology, you know, that is set up, I would love to be able to just take advantage of any opportunities I can to bring me closer to my ancestors, you know, who I don't necessarily I can't get in contact with. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of us that have any sort of um, African ancestry, we feel like orphans, like mm-hmm. historically, because we don't know, you know, we, we might be able to go back to our grandparents or even as far as our great grandparents. But we hit there is very few like in my experience, there was very few of us that could that could go back beyond maybe five or six generations. And that was if they were lucky that mm-hmm. they could go that far back. And so you feel like, yeah, I mean, for me, I around the 90s, when the term African-American started to become the accepted term for black people here, I had a hard time accepting that term. And I still don't use it because I don't know. One, I'm bothered by the fact that we're referring to our, our people as from one continent, as if there's no diversity within mm-hmm. the continent itself. And mm-hmm. two, because I cannot trace back to Africa yet, I I didn't feel like I had a right to make a claim like that. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I can trace back to Japan because my maternal grandmother is from Japan. I can trace back to England because my paternal grandmother is from England. Um, my my mom's father is some sort of German Irish mix um, from mm. like the Appalachian West Virginia places but I, I don't really necessarily feel like I can claim proper German or Irish ancestry because I don't really know them either um, yeah then, that's how I feel too like yeah. even with the Polish thing it's like it's there it's but interesting to know it's and I live you know the neighborhood that I live in it's not it's probably about 15 20 minutes, 20 minutes away from like a, a really large you know um, Russian Polish kind of demographic and it's like I would have to explain myself to mm-hmm. kind of like 
like to get there, you know, and I'm so far removed from the language, from the culture that it's like it's it, it I'm still other, you right. know, um, it's, it's weird as you say, like my, my grandmother looked like you. The fact that I'm looking at you right now, like, yo, my, my grandmother, <laughs> my father's side, she looks like you. Like, yeah, it's, it's wild that you say that. Yeah, it's just like uh, I, I feel that uh, anybody, any of us that, that do descend from Africa, even though we don't know where exactly we come from, we we feel some sort of connection based off the fact that we are all orphans of this continent um, and all products of colonization or even, mm-hmm. I, you know, I would even go so far as to say victims of it to a degree. Mm-hmm. Like, even though mm-hmm. I am not directly, this is not even quite accurate either. I was going to say not directly oppressed, but though I think that I am, um, even though I'm not directly, like I wasn't kidnapped myself and I was not carted over here against my will and all this kind of but stuff. But you're only here because that happened. It's like, only here. products of that. Right. It's almost, you know, it's almost like, damn, like I feel a way. Um, I, I feel when I think back about that and the atrocities and the horrors, you know, is really only about 90 percent of me really wishes that I could change that. And I would say even more like 10, 15, 20 percent of me is kind of like appreciative that I'm even here, mm-hmm. you know, because I wouldn't be here without it. Yeah. You know, so it's like it, it's a catch 22 kind of thing where it's like, damn, like I wish that it hadn't happened. But if it hadn't happened, I wouldn't be here. You know, right. We Like, do you yeah. feel a guilt even too, where it's like I. I'm benefiting in terms of my lifestyle and and what I have Mm -hmm. access to because Mm -hmm. of this tragic thing that happened to my family long time ago. Um, But who knows if my family had had a chance to flourish where they wherever they were kidnapped from, if I wouldn't have had a decent life either, you know, descendant. I mean, you wouldn't be who you are. You wouldn't be who you are. You you certainly I mean, even with the motivations for you doing this, like this stems from that, Mm -hmm. you know, so you'd probably be doing something you probably be making princess movies. I don't know. Like probably just, <laughs> yeah, you know, like there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of the struggle that informs like not even just that struggle. Like this is a struggle of just being from the South side and just, you know, like my generation was struggle that informs who I am, mm-hmm. you know? And um, as much as I would have liked to have a charm life, I probably wouldn't go back and change anything because I'm content with the person that I've become. Right. And, you know, with looking forward and what I want out of life, like I'm pleased, you know, knowing that this is not the end for me and I mm-hmm. still have a lot to carve out. And I think I, I do have the tools, you know, to do that. And I'm not sure of who I would be if, you know, I didn't have the struggle or I didn't have the experience. It's not even so much a struggle, but even witnessing other people struggle, mm-hmm. you know, and, and being humbled by that and um, just having that balance. You know, I don't really feel like I would be that balanced of a person. Right. You know, I feel like, you know, material things and, and and monetary resources are easy to come by, you know, once you tap into it. And I feel like, you know, we've definitely been held back from, you know, the capitalist process and you know uh, economics um but uh i definitely feel like the experience is way harder to come by you know like once you've accumulated those things if you're born into those things if you don't have the the context Mm -hmm. you know to really use those tools properly then you know it's kind of a waste and i'm I'm fortunate feeling like you know my life is not a waste you know i still have a ground to stand on Mm -hmm. you know let's talk a little bit about what inspired you to do the the vinyl record art project um and I, I do still want to grab those photos from you so that I can I can post them up on our Instagram for the listeners. But I love the project. I'm staring right at it while we're talking. Um, so yeah. talk about your inspiration and, and what that, that did for you. That came from um, my love of vinyl and my love of history. And it's the glue that binds those two things is my DNA. 
you know, where I was able to kind of like combine these two because otherwise it's just paint on vinyl. Um, but the subject matter really comes from my DNA. And even going back to that, like I really um, I was cool with not knowing for a really long time. You know, I was cool with just, you know, just taking with what I had been given. I think my daughter really mm-hmm. changed that. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of the questions that I had. Like, I, I was cool with just not having answers to them. I was cool with just the roadblocks. But I think projecting forward and thinking about, you know, having to explain some of the things to my daughter, I think that's definitely something that inspired me to get the DNA test. That's definitely something that inspired me to do this. Um, it's, uh, I feel like my art, I, I joke and I say Twitter and Facebook is like uh, congressional records. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm. I don't delete tweets. I don't delete Instagrams. <laughs> I, I don't. Like, if that's how I felt at the time. Like, that's really what's going to be here right. you know, when I leave. Like, that's, that's my legacy mm-hmm. you know um i feel like that about my art i feel like um if i go a day if i'm if i'm inspired to do something and i don't take advantage of it i, I feel guilty in that in that mm-hmm. um respect because i feel like i didn't capture a moment i feel like um i wasn't being honest and true with myself you know mm-hmm. and i feel like you know that has to be left that honesty and that truth is what's going to speak for you when you no longer here you know mm-hmm. so that's that's the science behind my art um i basically broke down a lot of the countries that um that came back from my dna results and um you know what was happening around that same time socially was the whole kaepernick thing with him right. kneeling for the protest and um the whole theme of national anthems you know um i remember being a kid and going to yankees games like my dad wouldn't let us stand for the national anthem and this mm. is I'm 33 this is 20 years ago right. before Kaepernick you know what I'm saying um, so I've always and even being in school and just I would say these words but I would always think about them like I would always think about the history of them like who wrote these words like mm-hmm. who like I, I've always been someone just like what if like wonder just in the past like how why like I've always been a why kind of kid you right. know um, so the, just the, 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 the theme of just national anthems and I you know I love sports you know um, the theme of just national anthems is just something that just continues to just come back um, just see Seamlessly, you know what I'm saying? Like not even really taking aim at it. But these these national anthems in particular are um, these are all my national anthems. You know, so the records themselves also have the the records themselves. Not nah, the records themselves are like Puff Daddy records. Oh, okay. <laughs> like one, one one interesting one that I do have actually that I'm working on um, for a friend of mine is a Haitian record um, that I specifically went and sought a Haitian record. I'm mm. doing the, the Haitian flag on hers. Um, but the rest of them, and, I, and that's the that's the thing about it. Like a lot of these records are records that I already had. Some of them are uh, a little bit damaged. Some mm-hmm. of them are records that I just had, you know, I was able to... Um, repurpose them. I repurpose them, but I was able to kind of like put them in my hard drive so that, you know, I don't even need the records. I have them digitally. Mm-hmm. But um, this is like the other size of these records is like the other national. It's like my generational answer anthem, you know, mm-hmm. DMX records and like Mace and Puff Daddy, like these, like growing up, I'm doing a project called Raised by Rap. Like, um, and like those are like growing up, like going to the schoolyard. Like yeah. these are the songs that we're singing. Like these are the songs that raise us. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's, it, I didn't mean to do it like that, but for whatever reason, I just it just happened like that. Um, but yeah, so I have I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine on the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's probably like two more that I didn't do. But like these are my true national anthems, like the Congo national anthem, the the the, the, the Ivory Coast national anthem, like the, the Cameroon national anthem. I had to go and like really research these songs. Yeah. You know, I had to go. I had to go and listen to them. I had to go get the flag, and I had to like I really sat with these records. And um, it's one of the things that really stands out to me. A lot of them are like Eurocentric, even with like the compositions and mm. the arrangements. And it saddened me because it's like it says Congo, but it sounds like France. You know what I'm saying? Like it right. says it says Ivory Coast, but it sounds like France. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Or whoever, whoever colonized them, you know, yeah. and that was probably the most of the thing that was like, damn, like I, I connected to it. And it still brings me back to white people. You mm. know what I mean? Like it doesn't even sound like.
like Africa. It looks like Africa, but it doesn't sound like it's written by Africans and most of them written and arranged by Africans, but it just it doesn't sound like choirs and like they were products of colonization too. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. I was surprised when I first saw your, the, your vinyl art, I was surprised by how many African countries you actually descend from. And I never thought about that as being a possibility when I was deciding to do the, to do the test for myself as well. I was, I for some reason I thought at best I'll be one or two, you like maybe Cameroon or the Ivory Coast or something like that. But I never, I never thought that you, you would have so many. And it's, it's Mm -hmm. amazing to think about how rich your history and you do. I mean, you're very ambiguous, even, even in terms of like a black person, you, Mm -hmm. I, when I first saw you, I was thinking many, maybe like uh, Senegal or something mm-hmm. like that, um, and I was I was really surprised to see the the diversity that you even have amongst your black side. Yeah. Um, mm. So I'm excited to see what ends up happening for me. Uh, honestly, like uh, I think so I, much is going to come back so, because we're so far removed from you know like that. And then, you know you have the man. It's it's you know this, this conversation branches off in so many different ways. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like there, 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 you have the one drop rule, mm-hmm. you know, and then you have, as a result of the one drop rule, you have you know, skeletons and many closets of many families, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So it's like, there are things like my family doesn't talk about, mm-hmm. you know, there are things I'm sure your family doesn't talk about. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that there are things that been pushed under the rug so far that they're literally mysteries to everybody who comes next because it's just been buried, you know? Right. Um, so, I mean, I, I know you, like me, I'm one of the things that really bothered me is that I'm only 79% African in my DNA. Like, <laughs> that 1% of, you know, of 80, like, it bothers me. Like, it bothers me. I get it. it, it it pushes me like it doesn't like seven the 79 is like uh like even the nine is cool but it's like damn like 70 yeah like i'm like it like i, I wasn't expecting 90 i was expecting 100 you know what i'm saying right. 79 like there's really like things going on like yeah. that i really don't have it's, like any control over and i don't have any knowledge of and it really does separate it really, i really feel like it separates me mm-hmm. from the side that i i, I want to be associated with. it's almost like a reverse one drop a hundred percent understand you. you know, it's like I hate that there's this in my blood, but is it there? It makes yeah. me who I am. You know, mm-hmm. my hair, my complexion. Like I love who I am. I just yeah. kind of hate how I got there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's yeah. funny that you say that because that's one of the fears I was having, and I, I was telling my husband this, and then I, w- I was talking to another uh, interview. I said the same thing. It was like, you know, my dad was half. I'm a quarter, but even though I was raised mostly black and identify mostly black, I was afraid to find out that, like, I know it's probably not going to be a full 25 percent because I know that my great-grandmother was so pale that she could pass and everything, mm. I was thinking, you know, what happens if I'm 13%? What happens if I'm 9%? What? And when I got to 9, that was when I was starting to get really nervous about if I find out that my, you know, my blackness is that that small when it's so mm. much a part of my identity, uh, you know, how, how will that change the way I feel about myself? And, you know, it's kind of funny to think about, but at the same time, like, I don't want to throw myself into a crisis of, yeah. of uh, identity. It, 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 it changes. It. it changes how I. It changes how I see other people because it really solidifies to me that people judge you based on how you look and nothing else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like nothing else. Like if you see somebody walking down the street with a garbage bag, regardless of what's inside of the garbage bag, you're going to automatically think garbage. Mm-hmm. You know, like sometimes I transport my um my laundry in garbage bags and I subconsciously like, oh, people are going to think I'm carrying garbage. It really doesn't fucking matter. It's a bag. Yeah. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like it's, it's, it's a bag, you know, but it's just what you've been taught and a lot of people have been taught, you know, legacy, you know, 
um, I was thinking before we even got on this, I was just for whatever reason, I was, you know, mulling over like uh, politically correctness. And um, it's, it's kind of a new term for us, politically correctness. And it means, you know, a certain thing. But it, politically correctness has always been around. It's just been manipulated based on, you know, the modern times. You're you know right. what I'm saying? Like, at one point it was politically correct to do this. And now it's politically correct to do the opposite just based on, you know, the conversation, the experiences that people have. And really, what that is, I really feel like it just people just fall in love with people and then like generations of people fall in love with other people and then it's like oh no like I love this person now like everyone else has to adjust you know like it really comes to relationships and uh, you know the more and more relationships uh, that are built upon these like interracial kind of like or across these lines is really what tends to break down these barriers I really don't see like like politics never really did that you know like politics does more to uphold these barriers than anything mm-hmm. I mean look you know, at I'm how not- many different ways they describe black people Africans color I don't even like that Afro-American like, like like look at me and you like we're brown you're just lighter brown than I am yeah. like, I don't know any white people I don't know any black people I, you know I know I know people who can pass and who have been taking advantage of being able to pass but they're just pale ethnic people you know and that's what frustrates me even more you know because it's like bro like I have that in my blood I got just as much of that in my blood as anybody else does but it's the outward appearance um, I actually have uh, I'm not even gonna get into that but yeah it's just, <laughs> I, didn't I different like like my name is Jewel I I I I um I introduce myself as Jules, you know, and and sometimes in email people get an idea of what that means, mm-hmm. and then when I show up, people aren't expecting this, right? You know, so a lot of times it, it cancels me out for opportunities based on you know. Sometimes I sometimes I get opportunities that aren't meant for me, and I don't know until I get there. Sometimes mm-hmm. you know people don't even consider me because of the name, you know, and because it's just it's it's craziness, man. People, the outward appearance really determines like uh, how people treat you. You know, it's funny that moment, too, that you're talking about when someone finally realizes and makes that connection, because, you know, you know, I'm kind of yellow and my name is Charmaine Latrice. And Mm -hmm. then I walk into some place and they're expecting, you know, probably the most hood black person they can see because my Mm -hmm. name sounds so so hood. But Mm -hmm. then they see me and you see that moment in their face where they're just like, oh, you're not what I was expecting. I used to get it with substitute teachers, job interviews. Yeah, readjustment. And, you know, it it makes me uncomfortable. So I had a job. I was in Philly for the roost picnic. I was working on a roost picnic. And we all standing around. They calling attendants. And it's a moment I always wait for. You know, (laughs) it's like like Jules. And I just raised my hand quietly. And the girl looked up at me and she goes, oh, shit, plot twist. (laughs) Oh, no, she said that out loud. No, yeah, she said, yeah, she, and everybody giggled and laughed. And I'm like, yeah, story of my life. Like, right. You know, I was, I, I, but I was waiting for that. Like, I knew it was coming. Like, before it even came, like, I knew it was, I was just waiting for yeah. it. You know, so that's why I kind of was like, yeah, that's me. You know, like, because it is like, Jules, like, here, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, nah, look, yeah. you see me, I see you. And right. she was just like, oh, shit. Like, but people can't help but to have those responses because it's not, people have expectations based on their own little experiences and their own reality. Right. <laughs> Which a lot of people's reality only exists in here, you know? Um, but yeah, it has, it's a readjustment. It's a readjustment. It's it's weird too. Like I'm okay with the people who look at me, have the nat- uh, natural reaction, but then mask it and just go on with their life. Like mm-hmm. let it, uh, you know, adjust in their mm-hmm. mind or whatever, and they just move on. But the ones that address it and let you know how they were going to other you, that's the pro- that's when I have the problem. Like oh, yeah. I expected you to be. I've had people say oh, I expected you to be black. I'm like, well, I am. Uh oh, and then they got a whole other line of 
of questions. Or mm-hmm. uh, the thing I hate the most is uh, it tends to be from like white people who who think that they're allies or think that they're down, but the way they show it is super racist and they don't realize mm-hmm. it. Where they're so then they just start calling me Sharmiqua or Sharmanizzle. Like I even have I, I started wow. using Sharmanizzle as an email address based off of a job that I had because all the white kids called me Charmanizzle because um, Snoop Dogg was big, big at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like someone trying to overly black my name or try uh-huh. really hard to spell it in a way that they perceive as overly black. Uh-huh. And that's when I start to realize I'm like, you know, okay, here's all your racism. You just put it out there right in front of me. But for some reason, you think you're being cool and you think you're being mm-hmm. down. Um, whereas, mm-hmm. you know, black people aren't going to do that. They'll, they'll look at me and be like, oh, you know, oh, you're one of us. Like th- that's when the mm-hmm. one drop rule applies to the family family. <laughs> Mm-hmm. the sense of family that we have as, as black people but um, you don't get it on the on the other sides and it's it, it is I would definitely prefer the person who acknowledges that they had a preconceived notion and then adjust their preconceived notion for to what the situation and just move on with their lives but yeah. when they try to overdo it, it it gets it gets really frustrating and trying trying to be endearing at the same time I know without knowing how disrespectful it is but you know that that comes from also a lack of experience yeah. and a clinging to a reality that you've been fed, especially if you're young and um, legacy. A lot of your, a lot of our, our, the, our ideas come from of ethnicity and of others comes from what we've been fed by our parents. You know, a lot of people don't have the experiences, you know, like they just don't. Mm-hmm. They just don't like people in my neighborhood, like they just don't have the and they, they won't even try to because they feel like they know already. And a lot of it comes from self-preservation. It's like I'm not even going to investigate that because somebody told me that it, it may be hazardous to me. So mm-hmm. I'm going to continue to treat you in a way that's beneficial to me out of fear. To mm-hmm. a degree, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that goes a little bit into kind of what we had talked about before about how sort of understanding um, your mixed heritage would inform how you you parent, because there was I think you were saying something about there being gaps in like how you were raised in terms of like informing you about your mixed mm-hmm. heritage. And now that you have your own child, the work that you're going to do to try to make her feel comfortable in her own skin and not be, not yeah, have daughter, that identity. She's, 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 she's aware of, uh, of her melanin, of mm-hmm. her complexion. Um, especially being in this neighborhood, she's like the only one, you know? Um, so she definitely, she definitely gets a lot of attention and, um, and she's decent looking, you know what I'm saying? Like she's a cute kid, you know? So she gets, she gets it from all languages. She gets the intrigue. She mm-hmm. gets, you know, minor backlash you know because I think for women it's a little bit different because you guys are more sexualized and criminalized mm-hmm. um, that's a whole other conversation right but um, yeah it's, it's a lot of people kind of look at her and there's the questions there but it, it isn't so much of the fear you know it, sometimes it's, you know it's still like stay over there I don't want you over here with my kids you know especially right. in this neighborhood that I'm in mm-hmm. but it isn't it isn't so much the variety where they'll run from her you know what I'm saying like they'll just stare at her and I kind of have to be the enforcer and then I have to explain to her why they're staring at her right. I have to explain to her you know, um, why she shouldn't feel a way about, you know, how the people perceive her based mm-hmm. on her hair and based on her complexion and, you know, based on who her parents are. Like, I have to have these conversations with her. You know what I'm saying? You know, she watches the Sesame Street where they try to be more inclusive now and they have the songs about the kids with the dark skin and they have the episodes about black people versus, you know, all of this type of things mm-hmm. injustices and things like that. So she's being fed this information. You know, um, I, you know, I get on I get on my tangent sometimes where I'm like, oh, I hate 
these type of people and I hate that type of people, you know what I'm saying? Just based on my experiences mm-hmm. and I have to be careful with what I feed her, you right, know what right. I'm saying? Because I don't want her to grow up with a, a limited, you know, idea of, of what the world is and um, who, who people are, but, you know, it's tough, but she's aware, like, she knows what's going on. You know, she, she lives with these flags. She, she I have masks and things, like, I try, to, I try to push her towards, you know, Afrocentric entertainment, you know what I'm saying? You know, just so that she has representations of herself on mm-hmm. TV or in whatever books that she's reading and it's not easy yeah. you know um, and that's a lot of times you know she makes suggestions and I kind of have to politely kind of like shut them down because mm-hmm. I don't want her you know being too just just too up under you know the the, the commercialization or the, the general idea of what beauty is mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying I'm a little bit tongue tied right now but you, I mean you talked about a little bit about that like the Disney princess thing and the yeah, and but, sort of limiting what she has access to so she doesn't translate that into self hate and the Barbie know that yeah and it's it's so easy man like she she says things sometimes where it's like all right i gotta pull back or okay like it, it's just it, man um yeah the disney thing is a big thing like my daughter still hasn't seen frozen yet mm-hmm. and she's four she's going on five you know what i'm saying like she still hasn't seen frozen yet um and even the things that she does watch sometimes it's like uh you know what i mean it's like like the moanas and the and the tianas the four princesses and all those things like what's supposed to be for her there's so many underlying messages there you know what i mean that is easy to misconstrue or misinterpret or it's easy to just kind of just point at it and just say that's somebody who looks like you didn't create this Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying like it's it's even like you know my my daughter she watches cat in the hat it's like a cartoon on pbs Mm -hmm. and um there's a there's a white kid there's a black kid they're animated you know so it's like you can see that you know there's a black kid on the screen but you know just out of curiosity one day i googled the voice actors and then the kid who voices the black kid is a white kid oh no you know what i'm saying (laughs) almost i mean subconsciously that gets in there i mean we feel like we can tell you know a lot of times and and which is what led me to do that like let me this i don't know it's passing but i don't know let me which led me to investigate it and then even then it's it's disheartening because it's like damn like you can see the representation but there still isn't a job out there for a little black kid you know what i mean and that's that's hurtful it's that's the heart of what i'm trying to do with the militantly mix is to to try to voice that problem. I mean, we know representation matters. We've seen it in a bunch of different ways and we know how absent it's been in most of our lives. So that's why everybody came out and, you know, in all of their um, mixed up African attire for for Black Panther or whatever, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it was something that even though at the highest level of Black Panther, it was governed by white people. Mm -hmm. Luckily, those white people, or at least Kevin Feige, allowed himself to back off and let the black people control the storyline the direction it was going the they're at the highest parts of the of of the thing the producers the writers the directors you know so we, we got a sense that there was at least some blackness dictating the direction mm-hmm. of that story I, I think you know the movies make the effort and and I appreciate that we're going to get more Black Panther so that we have you know a chance to see more mm-hmm. of that representation and I think even on the I'm going to say white female side versus the woman's side they're going to do that with captain marvel as well you know they're they're mm-hmm. having women involved in the crafting of that story and, and everything like that but it is a very specific white woman tale we're not going to get as much of that kind of inclusivity that that we get mm-hmm. um in other places but when our children like i mean i don't have children but when our 
our generation's children are coming up, they're going to have a little bit more exposure to themselves in media that we didn't get when we were coming mm-hmm. up. But like for mm-hmm. me, I, I that the first time I ever felt like actually represented in anything that I saw was just a character on the Cosby show named Charmaine. Mm-hmm. And over over the course of her story, she ends up being, I, I believe she ends up being, being like a crackhead or something like that, or some kind of drug addict, problematic person in some way, shape or form. And so all that excitement of finally hearing my name being voiced on the on TV, TV, yeah. it ends up shifting into into a negative over time and and mm-hmm. um, you know you're you're looking for somebody that looks even remotely like you and I have I have to choose someone that just sort of resembles me in personality not necessarily mm-hmm. in look because there's not mm-hmm. a whole lot of black japanese white people out there on mm-hmm. screen I mean as it is Asians fight for representation and black people fight for representation so then you know you got my little mixed ass being like but what about me <laughs> mm-hmm. what about my mm-hmm. black japanese story where's that at I think the problem with that is that if if it didn't have anything to do with um with the with the return on the investment then it would be way more inclusive because how many black japanese white girls can you sell that story to? <laughs> it'd just be and me many, and my many, cousin <laughs> yeah how many times are you gonna buy it to support the production costs that go into that and that's really and that's why i really don't get mad you know when i see things geared towards you know certain demographics um i understand it mm-hmm. but that's really and that's but then it takes me back to it all being about economics and entertainment it's not about it's not about anything beyond that there's no depth to a lot of this stuff. It's really yeah. just about return on investment and just, you know, like you said, Disney guys, and they can step back yet yeah, because they know that they're getting a return on their investment. Sorry, folks. Militantly Mix was experiencing technical difficulties. Please stay tuned and the show will resume shortly. Is there anything else that you want to talk about in terms of your art? Um, in terms of my art, man, my art, I started out, I don't, I don't even know if it's fair to say, I, I think I really began um, to consider art as a career from more of a music standpoint. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of my a lot of my music was um, influenced, not necessarily by financial gain, but it was one of the avenues where I really felt like I could take my limitations and really actually um, build something tangible, you know, around around what I couldn't do, you know, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Yeah. So um, that, that, that's when, you know, it became a career. And um, when I when I struggle with that <clears throat> politics of rap music and hip hop and all that kind of stuff um, is when I began to tap back into my visual art background, my foundation. I used to draw a lot as a kid mm-hmm. and um, I began to question myself, you know, I, you know, I, and feeling like, you know, not knowing if I was really expressing myself to express myself or expressing myself for monetary financial gain. And when I got back to the visual aspect of it, um, was when I realized how how intrinsic and how innate, you know, a lot of a lot of just being an artist just is to me. And I was just forced in one lane. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, art is who I am. You know, who I am informs my art and then my pursuit of art. Um, it, it's a cycle. You know, it feeds itself. It, it feeds each other. Mm-hmm. You know know very much you know um i've been doing a lot more things in terms of just like uh the colors like these colors behind me mm-hmm. the, the study in the flags like these are the colors I, i'm more so um gravitate towards now mm-hmm. you know um it's really primary colors man like it's, it's really just primary colors when you really look at it yeah you know, well you see part. a lot of the pan-african colors across multiple mm-hmm. ones and then mm-hmm. um uh yeah i mean in general they tend to be sort of primary yeah, yeah they're, they're all they're all primary colors like, even the blue is like the, the blue with the congo and mm-hmm. the blue with um what is this bami chad like that just the blue like we don't I, I never really associate blue with africa we you know you yeah, black and green you know and um just the blue is just it, it just 
just it threw me, you know. <laughs> um, it, it did through like just you know, it just it just coming back just to to everything I'm kind of just been taught just through you know my art classes and my art teachers because they don't really teach us you know African art, African art history. Right. You know what I'm saying? You go to a museum, there's no artist to attribute any of these things to. I was watching something the other day um, with my daughter um, about Picasso, and um, it was like a reenactment of him like trying to be inspired. And he's like in this museum, and he's like looking at all of these like um, paintings, like the Mona Lisa. And he's like, oh, we should do something like this portrait. So he's like, nah. And then like there's like a ballerina, like a, a Degas. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, you should do a ballerina. And he's like, nah. And he turns and he sees like these African masks, and like it, it completely like mm-hmm. it energizes him, motivates him. You know what I'm saying? But we're not taught that. We were taught about Picasso, but we weren't yeah. taught that Picasso was directly influenced by African art. That's something yeah, I, I had heard to, that. I had to continue to do my own research as an adult to realize that. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like everything comes back to the source and it just makes me continue to, to wonder why, you know, the source has been um, kind of diluted and misrepresented the way it is. So one of, one of the main things that I've been doing now, I've been really limiting my palette, you know. Um, the, these palettes are very limited. You know, it's three, four, maybe, maybe four colors mm-hmm. at most. Um, I've been limiting my palette and I've been playing with just shapes, you know. Um, so and you're doing it of, like as a challenge to yourself to to make something the most creative you can within these this limited scope? I, what I'm really trying to do, man, I'm really trying to tap into what I can explain and what I can express, what I can articulate. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm really just trying to just let the flow kind of like, I don't want to get in the way of myself. Yeah, I don't want to I don't want to self-edit before. You know, I want to just do and um and in doing that, I really feel like what comes naturally, then I could kind of break that down. I could look at that and I can dissect that. So I can even take like um this is one of the this is uh these little neon African oh, masks I like that I did, right? So it's like, like it's, it's ancestral, but it's neon, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like even just just the neon. And this is a palette that was inspired by my daughter, mm. you know, um, something that she did. And it just made me kind of just want to like bring to life, like bring life to usually you go to a museum, this is brown. Right. You know, it's all brown or it's all like some shade of brown. Like the neon to me brings it to to the modern times. There's something else that I've been doing. This is like where I really tapped into like my style. Oh, that but I'm you know, with the shapes, They're the really colors. Graphic, like, yeah. It's, it's almost a language in itself, you know, right. and it's alien, but it's um it's very down to earth. So that's that's what I've been playing with right now, just like these shapes and just these colors and just yeah. how they resonate, how they how they play off of each other. I um, like that one a lot. When I was a kid, I was heavy into graffiti, you know, and it's it's all writing on walls and it's all comes from it all stems from a place of wanting to be remembered, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And trying to communicate with other people, you know what I'm saying? It's its own language. So that's what I'm really trying to tap into language. And um, just color, you know, and so that's where these things are taking me now, and that's what I'm exploring. I have this right here, also. I like the materials that you use too. You know, non-traditional style. T- what is that? A plexiglass or a glass or something? It's, it's just a glass. Yeah, and then cardboard for the other thing. Cardboard. You, I use what I have. Like you know, the like the it. canvas is getting expensive. You right. know, um, but this these things like a lot of this a lot of this directly came from. Huh. This is just me. Te- these are like testing grounds. Yeah. Like a lot of this, a lot of this. This is what I'm saying. The primary colors. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. And just the patterns. Like a lot of this comes from just you know I don't want to say so much dashiki, but just African patterns. Like mm-hmm. you Google African patterns, like so much comes up. And then that I look at these things and I'm like, bro, like they're so intricate. Like not only the process of of 
of weaving and a tapestry, but just to um, to conceptualize some of these shapes, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they look random, but they're not random at all. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're they're very thought out. They're very it's craftsmanship that goes into that. You know what I'm saying? Right. I, I really just try to, like, understand, like, the motives behind it and, and the, the people who, you know, the trial and error. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. and that's what brings me closer. Like, the, that process, that exercise and creating art and, and going inside of myself and, and pulling something out tangibly, um, that's as close as I can get to my heritage, to mm-hmm. my ancestors without even knowing what I'm doing. You know what I'm saying? So the art to me, that's what it is for me. Like without art, I really don't. I, I'm, I'm lost. I'm completely lost. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. One thing that I like about your art in particular is, or, you know, especially the the um, the flag project is just that you found some you found new information and you processed how you felt about it through your artwork. And it has mm-hmm. opened up a different kind of art for you. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that that, you know, how we deal or how we process a lot of the the trauma that we've had in terms of our race and things like that. Um, we do it all different types of ways. And I, it, it can be beautiful and it can be painful and it can be destructive mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. But I, I just love that I'm getting a chance to talk to other people that have these different things. You know, for me, I am a person who wants to use my creativity in certain ways. I wanted to be a director and filmmaker and all this kind of stuff. And I find that I'm less motivated to finish projects for myself, but I'm really mm-hmm. motivated to help finish projects for other people. And so this is my way of doing that. I realize I'm not going to f- be able to finish every film that I make or I, or, or if I rely too heavily on, on other people to help finish something, I'm not probably going to get it done. But what I can do is talk to you for an hour on a podcast mm-hmm. and talk about your art and talk about your experience and talk to this guy about his film and things like that. So um, it's, it's empowerment. It's empowerment. It is. And that's, that's exactly what I, that's exactly what I mean. Like, I don't feel like we're empowered in groups. Where we're all shouting different things at one time. But if you bring us all, what you, what you've done, you know, collectively bring us together and you can empower people one by one. And right. then, you know, you, you create a community out of that and then yeah. the community becomes self-sufficient. Like this right here, like in building a community and, and empowering people and, and helping us to be self-sufficient, you know what I'm saying? And creating your own media platform so now we don't have to protest. You know what I'm saying? We don't have to go beg for inclusion because we have our own. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like ownership is what we should be fighting for, not inclusion. You know what I'm saying? Because we feed all of these industries anyway. Like we, like if everybody, if all the black people in America disappeared right now, right now, this whole country would change, bro. Mm-hmm. This whole country would change. Like this country is a superpower off of our backs. Yeah. And we're not even like, bro, you want to talk about third world countries? Like we got the worst education. We got the worst air quality. We got the worst water quality. We have the worst human relations. How are we at the top of what? You know what I'm saying? Like Military how? superpower. Military superpower, which is also funded by people who don't have a choice but to fight for this country because mm-hmm. they need they need to go to school. You know what I'm saying? That's yeah. us. Yeah. That's us. We support every industry in this. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, yo, we can pick up and we can empower ourselves. This right here, I appreciate this. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because I even with you, like, I don't, I didn't know you before. Yeah. You I know. consider <laughs> you an ally and not, you know, not keep going back. But this is, this is, we need more of this. We need more com- communication. We need more conversation because that's what's truly an understanding and empowerment and ownership because that's, to me, is what's going to change our, our plight, you know, our situation, our standings. People don't, this is so important. People don't understand how important this shit is, man. Like, I mean, even for me, like, 
like I think I kind of said in the beginning, this this thing I, I set out to do something and it, what has it has become is totally different from what I originally thought it was mm-hmm. going to be. You know, I, I just I'm a person who likes to talk and I like to talk about race. And I, I thought, you know, this will give me a little bit of a platform and maybe I'll meet some people and blah, blah, blah. And now it's become this thing is like now this is my little therapy session, my little mm-hmm. my, my little group therapy mm-hmm. where I talk to you. I talk to this other guy and, and we empower and we help each other all the way through. It's, it's and been, you can't and you, it comes with a responsibility now, like that knowledge. It comes with a responsibility. Like you can't ignore it. You have to do something. With mm-hmm. it. Now, it was cool when you were ignorant, but you can't be willfully ignorant. You can't know and not do. Right. Now that you know, you have to do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That right there, man, that responsibility is real. Yeah. It's very real. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Raised by Rap. Uh, oh, okay. Raised by Raised by Rap is very much um, like this, actually. Um, so I, I was I wonder right, you know, just me, just in my mind, just trying to figure out how I could leave the greatest legacy behind mm-hmm. and how I could express myself with the resources that I have. Um, one thing that I always want to do, I want to write a book. Um, and Raised by Rap was going to be a collection of essays, just based on the different rap songs that I was able to pull like real life lessons from. You know okay. what I'm saying? Um, like I was laughing and joking the other day. Um, Money over bitches is a theme that I got from rap music, you know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. not to be, you know, not not the vulgar aspect, not, you know, not to focus on the bitches part, but it's really just like taking care of your finances before you go out and you seek friendship or companionship. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, and that didn't come from my mother. That came from rappers. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's just little things like that where you don't even recognize it when you're saying it, but it really informs the decisions that you make or that my generation has made. Mm-hmm. And um, it really contributes to the people that we became, you know? And for me, I love rap. Rap was given to me from my older brothers. Um, rap is something I share with my younger brothers. Mm-hmm. Rap is something that brought me and my classmates together. You know what I'm saying? Um, and still to this day, you know, rap music, it, it gets a really bad rap. You know, it's very painted in a very negative way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's promoted very negatively. But there are definitely um, practical application, you know, there. And for better or for worse, you know, mm-hmm. everybody doesn't get the positive you know, I, so a lot of negative, you mm-hmm. know, habits that I've picked up listening to rap. Like, I love Prodigy, but because of Prodigy, I say, you know what I'm saying? And now I mean a lot. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. So, like, a lot. A lot. And, and in my own little way, you know, like, I, I'm honoring, dude. You know what I'm saying? I'm honoring right. my own history because it's like, it's my connection to the past. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's my direct connection to the 90s, which to me was a really kind of cool time for me. You know what I'm saying? Even when Prodigy passed, it was like, you know, one of my family members died. You know right. what I'm saying? And it yeah. came just as unexpectedly you know what i'm saying so um and there i go again but yeah so i really just i went from book form i was struggling to really um write this book and then i just realized that um i had so much media at my disposal and um i have you know so many peers you mm-hmm. know who have shared the same experiences and i just began to track some of my friends down and my associates and i just you know, have the conversation with them and um just tracking them down and just recording them and very much like how we doing now mm-hmm. and then just sitting in my house and just splicing the things together and um that's what i have is what I have now. I've done. I'm at episode ten now. Okay. Um, I've, I've, I've really been condensing them for Instagram, so it's like a minute, uh, about a minute long descriptions with people just talking about people be given uh, the sixteen or reciting the verse or the song, mm-hmm. and then in the next frame they're talking about you know what it did for them as a kid. Right. And um, a lot of it is is more than even what I expected. Yeah. You know what I'm saying That's it's how these more things than what like, I expected. Yeah. They get bigger than you, and you can't even That's, figure out it, how it, it happens. And it, and it becomes a responsibility now. Mm-hmm. It's like I have to continue to do this. But then the more people 
see it, the more people want to be involved mm-hmm. and the more people realize like, hey, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, this is actually true. So, you know, I, I'm realizing, you know, I'm, I'm going to see a lot of people. I'm talking, I'm having conversations with a lot of people and listening to their stories. And I'm watching them have these realizations of the contributions that some of these artists have made mm-hmm. to their lives without even knowing it. Right. You know, so it's, it's, it's my thing. And just because I was around and I was there. I feel a responsibility to accurately tell the story. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a lot of gangster rap. There's a lot of misogyny. There's a lot of black-on-black death. But Mm -hmm. there's a lot of practical life lessons that we've been applying, you know, and that makes us who we are, you know, the way we dress, the way that we talk, um, you know, the themes that we pursue, the type of women that we pursue, the type of relationships that we, not even just women, the type of relationships that we Mm -hmm. pursue. You know, um, I had a one girl, my homie Jasmine, she was talking about Little Kim and being nine years old and listening into this little Kim album mm. for the sole purpose of just trying to relate to her older sister. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, you might see a little girl listening to a little Kim and just assume that she's being fast or she's being sassy, yeah. but that wasn't the motivations for her. You know what I'm saying? Like, none of that stuff really resonated with her from mm. the standpoint of sexuality. She just wanted to be able to have a conversation with her sister. Mm. You know what I'm saying? There's yeah. little things like that. You might see somebody, like, I had tapes and CDs confiscated from me as a kid and it's like, they devastated me because my motivation for trying to ingest this material came from a different place, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So the songs or whatever, the melodies, the content is whatever, but it's like, you know, I'm really trying to get closer to my community, you know? Um, so that's what Raised by Rap is. That's amazing. And, that um, is something I'm really into. <laughs> yeah, well, listen, if, if, if you if you can relate, you could definitely, uh, your satellite, I had a guy in Chicago record his own and send it to me. If you want to record one and send it to me, you want to look through the Instagram, you can look through it. Okay. Um, I really feel like it's our version of Humans of New York. I don't know if you've yeah, I'm humans of New York. So that that's for us. You know, it's really just us telling our story yeah. and not allowing and taking control and ownership over our stories because people want to tell us that the music, the music uh, motivated us to do this and the music told us to do that. And it's like it's the nah, reflection like, of what we have. Like that's how NWA is for me. I'm, I grew up in Long Beach during the time mm-hmm. NWA was coming up. And yeah, there's a lot of misogyny and drugs and violence and stuff like that. But what that was for me as a little 12 year old girl coming up about the same time was this is my neighborhood it's something i'm not seeing on tv it's something you know Mm -hmm. there's no friends episode in north long beach on the border of compton um it's these guys that are out there talking about what it's like sometimes you're just a regular ass person but because Mm -hmm. you live in the hood you end up doing drugs or or selling drugs or you're stepping over the sheer proximity yeah you talk about black on black crime it's like who am i supposed to kill you you stick us in these neighborhoods and then you know you pit us against each other (laughs) and then you want to talk about what we're doing like a lot of these situations were created due to and um your environment dictates who you interact with because like our culture is american our culture is pop culture is american popular culture yeah you know i'm saying like that's that's our contribution so it's like i feel the responsibility to kind of like clean up the the reputation that rap has had because Mm -hmm. you know I consider my I also consider myself an intellectual as much as I consider myself a rap fan, a hip hop fan, or whatever the case may be. You know what I'm saying? A lot of my intellect, a lot of, you know, my vernacular it comes from just constantly, constantly just being confronted with rap music. So that's my that's my uh I don't know what to call it, my opus. But at the moment, that's like the most important thing that I'm doing right now. I feel like it can be academic, it can go on galleries, it can 
can go, you know, it can go wherever. It can be entertainment and it can be informative at the same time. So that's, I'm excited about that. I'm, I'm really excited about that. Yeah, that's great. I, I definitely yeah. want to push that too. Um, so do you have a, you're doing Raised by Rap on your main Instagram or? No, that, that, has it, that has its own Instagram. Okay. Uh, it's raised it. underscore by underscore rap. Okay. And um, all 10 episodes are up there right now. I got about two more episodes I need to edit in my phone. And um, I'm really trying to find, it's, it's, you know, that's the multimedia aspect of it all. It's developing content mm-hmm. and then, you know, writing songs and then, you know, making paintings, you know what I'm saying? And, and creating a legacy and then something for my daughter to be able to live off of, hopefully. You right. know what I'm saying? If, should I not be around um, to directly provide for her? You know what I'm saying? Um, and also for myself, if I'm not around to speak for myself, these things tell my story. You know, other people can, you know, I've, I've just been confronted with a lot of um, unrealized potential. Mm-hmm. And not only in my family, but in my in my neighborhood. So I understand the very real aspect of my time being limited. So I'm just really trying to capture these moments and really just trying to put my 100% authentic self out there. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? People know who I am, what I was, and, you know, the type of person that I was. Um, but yeah. I like that a lot. All right, cool. All right, cool. Thank you. Thank you, Charmaine. Thanks for sticking uh, with me. Never. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, that was the first official recording that I did with Jules for the podcast. It was about the second time or third time, I think, that he and I had actually talked. Um, And, you know, thanks for bearing with the episode with the technical issues that we had because his interview was the one that sort of informed what this show became. I wanted you to get used to the show before I got a chance to reveal his episode to you. Also, since this recording, he and I have talked a couple of other times and most recently we recorded what is going to be the DNA episode of Militantly Mixed in which I reveal the results from my the multiple DNA tests that we did for my family um, with the major results being from the AfricanAncestry.com DNA test, which is you know, a sort of exclusive to Sub-Saharan African DNA. Uh, my results were pretty shocking for me and I had held on to them until I got a chance to talk to Jules again because he and I talked so in depth over the course of several calls about his DNA experience. So if you are currently a Patreon sponsor, I'm going to release the DNA episode to you early. You will have access to that this coming Sunday, which is, I think, what, September 9th. Uh, So you will have early access to that show on Patreon and you'll get to hear about my experience and discovery of what my African ancestry is. So I now finally know where in Africa my um, family comes from and um, and some of the stuff that I learned from the uh, Ancestry.com results, which are, are less specific, but still ha- that some interesting things were revealed that I didn't know and actually had unsettled some of the stuff that have been stories passed down in my family for several uh, years. So it was pretty interesting and I had held on to my results and re- revealing them on the show until I got a chance to talk to Jules again. So we share that experience together. If you are on Patreon, you're going to get that this Sunday. If you are not a Patreon sponsor, I'm going to release that episode sometime next month, probably towards the end of the month. Um, So this is our first attempt of giving some early uh, content to our Patreon sponsors. So thank you for listening and we'll be with you next week. Peace, y'all. Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Johnson. Music is by David Bogan, The One. And if you like what you heard on Militantly Mix, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts.
Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.